0: Morning. What an incredible celebration that we have in Christ who is risen, who has conquered death, defeated it on our behalf, and now sits reigning in heaven on a throne, and even now continuing his victory as he. Um, draws men to Himself in repentance and in faith that He's enough. We pray that we would um, take the long view in life that we would see the eternal as being all-consuming and and all-engaging. We get so wrapped up in the temporary. What's the government doing? What are the taxes? What are the cultural shifts going on? And yet we forget that overlooking it all as a king on his throne who rules forevermore and working all things according to his will and his good pleasure to bring about an ultimate conclusion where God will be with men, it says in Revelation, that, that he will dwell with them, with us. And He will be our God, and we will be His people. That's always been the plan. And so I pray that we celebrate today as the initiation of that kingdom that grows. But we also celebrate and hope that it's, it will be realized. And so as we look at the passage today, I pray that you, you by your Spirit, would um, encourage that a little more. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are in Exodus 34. We are at the end of chapter 34, which means that we are coming to chapter 35, which means that we have five more chapters in Exodus after this, which ultimately means that we'll be in Leviticus in a very, very short time. A start date for Leviticus? For Exodus? The start date? start date was... um, no, I, I can't remember. I, I, I think it was in. Uh, I know we hit 20 the beginning of 2014, and so I think the beginning of Exodus was 2013, maybe January of 2013. I think I think okay. we've been at for about two years. Okay. Yeah, I think you that's right. May, you were at nine. Right. Yes. Okay. That 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 sounds about right. I have to go back and look. I'm not sure. It's been a while. I'll have the stats for you next week. Exactly. What's that? We should have an exodus party? We should do like a Passover for exodus, dinner, right? progressive dinner, would be awesome. Lamb at this house, you know, unleavened bread at this house, that would be fun. And then end up at a tabernacle somewhere, it would be, be great. Okay, detour. Um, exodus 34, we're going to start in verse uh, 29 and end in verse 35, the end of the chapter. Um, Remember, uh, Moses had gone up again uh, to the mountain because the people had broken the covenant. They had uh, made a golden calf. Uh, They had um, broken the first two commandments before Moses even got off the mountain with the first set of tablets. And so God was going to wipe them out. Moses interceded, took on the the role again of a mediator, demonstrated his love for the people. Blot me out of the book if you're going to block them out. And God said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I will forgive them. And he reveals himself to Moses. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And then renews the covenant again. Renews it again. That's kind of a, he renews the covenant. Um, and Moses has been up on the mountain again for another 40 days and 40 nights. Without food and water, it says. So think, he to do this twice. I'd be a little bitter having to do that twice, no food and water, but hey, he's in the presence of God, so I wouldn't be bitter about that. But he comes down from the mountain with new tablets that he had cut that God writes the Ten Commandments with his finger on. So he has new tablets, new renewal, he's bringing it to the people, um, and he's going to present, again, the renewal of the covenant to them. Bearing the tablets, he also bears something else which uh, which will give credibility to what he has to say to them. Verse uh, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and Behold, Carlos, and behold, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the elders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all of the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. What is going on with Moses' face? What's the deal there? What do you think? Can you imagine? I mean, we have some uh, issues, I guess, that, that we can visualize. I mean, we, we have movies that have shiny people. What is that what's going on here? What The Hollywood view of shiny? What, what's happening? Glory. Glory, okay. In the ancient Near East, in general, there was an understanding that the faces of the gods shone a radiant brightness. Culturally, that was the understanding. Uh, Here, Moses' face is shining because he has been in the presence of God. But he didn't realize what's going on. He didn't really have a mirror in the mountain, maybe. He doesn't realize he's glowing. He doesn't know it. And he's walking down the mountain, and they see this. That's Moses, but that's not Moses. And they freak out. The skin on his face shone. Literally, the word means sent out rays. Actually, the word means horns, which is kind of strange. In fact, <laughs> this is kind of funny, uh, the, the Latin Vulgate, the first, um, after the, the Greek uh, New Testament, whenever they translated all the Bible into Latin, the translators used that word horns. Moses had horns on his face. That's the way that it... And so you see this in the art of the time most notably, Michelangelo. Whenever he painted Moses, would have Moses with horns, because the, literally the word means horns. But it doesn't mean horns that way. It's an expression. It's the way the language works to to talk about um, to talk about the the radiant beams. Maybe another way to say it. There, there's a, there's just a, a brightness, something that's piercing about the brightness that's on Moses' skin. Um, incidentally, some scholars still hold to the horn theory today. And some go even a little farther and say that, that, that this actually references a skin disfiguration that Moses experienced from from the presence of God. I, I think that's kind of silly. Well, I don't know that it's a Michael Jackson thing, but but it, it the way the language is, it's all, also the word is used to describe the brightness of God's glory. In Habakkuk 3, four. it says, His brightness was like the light, rays, or radiant beams, and that's the word used again here in Exodus, flashed from his hand. Does that mean the horns are flashing from God's hand? No. It's talking about a, 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 a radiance. And uh, there he veiled his power, it says in Habakkuk. Yep. This is the left field. Okay. All right.
1: But I'm just thinking, okay, stealing my so what's the, the scenario? there's God in his mother in God's presence we know God is perfect and so just by being in the presence of perfection God is perfecting everything around it i.e. I mean I'm thinking from an anatomical we're, you're, we're saying that his skin is radiating right like, like a physical not a not sure. symbolical
0: radiation yeah it's a, it's an actual thinking, just glowing just
1: the presence of perfection does that do something to the skin
0: May, maybe maybe I think New Testament uh, ideas first, especially in First John which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit there, there is that external and internal move, to, well, you, you are what you worship mm-hmm. right? We've, we've talked about that before and here's a physical representation of that this is a, a glowing of Moses being in response to the presence of God what's the response of the people to this though? What's the response to the people? They run, away. they run away. You know what's weird here is the language. They saw and they... Um, uh, what is it? They saw and they... Um, uh, and were afraid. That, that, that language is kind of a pun, a literary device in the Hebrew. It's the same type of language that we saw in chapter 20, around that time, uh, when, when God's thunder and lightning, very, very frightening on the mountain... And the people saw and, were afraid, yes, and saw and were afraid and ran from the mountain. It's the same language being used here of Moses and the glowing on his face. What does that tell you? It's something significant. And it's something that's so significant that it reminds them of the thunder and the lightning on the mountain that they ran from. How do we know they ran here? He had to call them back. He had to call them back and it says they reached him. Returning, they journeyed back so you have this something incredible is going on with Moses' face there, there is a um, they, they, here though they, they, they ran from the, the, the lightning and the thunder before here they run from the mere reflection of God's glory what does that tell you about God's glory <laughs> the mere reflection causes this kind of reaction that's an amazing thing. Uh, Moses calls them back to the mountain in chapter 20, and he calls them back here. He comes back? The congregation and Aaron. Um, so you have the congregation, not just the elites. It's
2: just the elites. It's in Is Aaron's it? And all the leaders of the
0: congregation. Okay, and then what does it say?
2: And then all races.
0: So you have the guys who are supposed to be the brave ones, the leaders, sneaking back over the moon. And eventually the congregation all comes around him, right? So he's surrounded by all the people and does what? What does he do? Talks to them about what?
1: When all the people are here, he tells them what the Lord has spoken.
0: Some stuff? All. All the stuff. He tells them everything the Lord has spoken. To all the people not just a select few, not just the important ones who have to know the really important stuff to, to be able to you know, lead people. He lets them all know. He gets them all engaged in all the law of God and all of what he's commanded. Everybody's responsible to know it. Everybody benefits from knowing it. Is that normal in society? I mean, the good stuff is usually reserved for the elites, right? The important information is done with the people in the ivory towers who do the study and do the thing. Here, that's not the case. All of the Word of God for all of the people of God. It's not held back to just the guys in funny hats, right? It's for all people, not just the smart guys or these so called important folks. Um, Have you got it in your head what's going on with this whole veil thing? What is up with that? What is up with that? Yeah?
1: Take a stab at it. Uh Sure. So it's whenever, whenever Moses is speaking and his face is revealed, he is speaking. He is speaking what God spoke to him. Okay. And when he covers his face, he is no longer communicating what God said because he he leaves it covered. But when he goes to talk to God again, he unveils it and then comes and talks to the people. So,
0: so this is—is is this a one-time thing? No. No, it's a repetitive thing. And you're right. Yeah.
2: It reminds me of the temple because. The Holy of Holies was behind two curtains, right? Right. And it was, it was closed, and it was separated by a veil. Okay. And so it's like, there's God, and probably a veil, and then Moses, and then Moses' face shines, and he veils that for the
0: people. I keep getting thirstier every time I drink this. It's bizarre. I don't know um, There's a veil that he takes off to be in the presence of God. And there is a similarity between the glory of God and the veils that we'll see in the in the tabernacle. We've already seen, but that we'll see when they when they build it. But what he does is he goes in the presence of God. He takes off the veil and his face. His face is exposed by, by the veil, not the veil. I'm going to see if I get those. I, I know I'm going to do it. I am anticipating it right now. Know that I mean veil when I mean veil, and know that I mean face when I mean face. All right. So you you have this picture of he's in the presence of God. His face is exposed. When he delivers the law or the commandments of God, his face is exposed and the, and the glory of God is being reflected in his face. Why? Well, first of all, what effect do you think this had on the people when they saw him delivering the word of God, delivering the commands of God and he's like, glowing? What do you think? It really gives uh, credibility. Credibility. There's some kind of physical thing going on here that this ain't natural. Something's going on. I think I'm gonna trust what he says. I think I'm gonna believe that this came from God because his face is doing something mine doesn't do in the morning.
1: Would you say that I mean would you go as far as to say that he has superhuman characteristics? It's not that he's like divine, but I'm he's saying, not floating. Right. But I'm just but, saying but like there the is humans don't have this. Yeah,
0: there's there's something about him that reflects otherness. Right, is that fair to say? Yeah. It reflects something that's not natural to humanity. Well, I would argue it's not natural after the fall to humanity. Um, you have here um, a, a, a repetitive practice. When he's in the presence of God or when he was presenting a lot of people, he's unveiled. In the presence of God, it, it appears that his, his face. Oh, this is not the best term. It's the only one I can think of. Is re-energized, right? It, because there's a sense that, and we and we find this out in other places that, that that glory fades until he goes into the presence of God, and it and it becomes radiant again. Um, what do we call that? Rejuvenated. Rejuvenated. Okay. I don't know. I just re-energize, I don't know, Relit, I don't know.
1: Uh, uh,
0: uh, uh. <laughs> 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 yes, please, quickly. You said the idea that gives credibility, mm.
1: but it's also um,
0: accountability. So if he, if he comes out and he doesn't reflect the glory of God... Mm, good point. So it's like God's stamp of
1: approval.
0: And he's, my, he's my spokesman. He's got it. He's going to tell you what's right.
2: Yeah, and I'm with him.
0: And I'm with him. Good. Yeah.
2: First, Islamians, it talks about a mark of a Christian as somebody that when the word in the Bible comes, it comes in word and in power. Okay. And this is show, it's showing power in something in their like.
0: And I think that's why they use the word for horns. Because horn oftentimes in the Old Testament language talks, I mean, think about Daniel, you know, the kingdom with one horn, the kingdom with three horns, or whatever. And there's this idea of horn being power. So I think that's why that word is used. It's an idiom for power. But it's not his own power. It's a reflective power, right? Um, so, yeah, I, if this is the case, if this shows his authority as God's messenger, the power of God working in him to, to transform him this way, uh, why put on the veil? Why not leave it off? Go get me some milk from the grocery store. Yes, sir. I mean, you're glowing. I, you've got all this kind of authority to do everything.
1: Maybe it's so shocking that people can't even get past what they're seeing.
0: Okay. So, so he would do it as an accommodation to their fear, maybe. What's another reason you think? Yeah. It might be I mean, just bad
2: word, but contagious. Like it, if it's shown from God to Moses, it might show from Moses to them and, and continually be transferable. Uh, I don't
0: know. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't. Um, yeah? I don't I don't know. Yeah, that's another reason. Um, possibly the intent of it is that he's only supposed to use it to communicate with God all the mountain. Interesting. The only way he's supposed to use this transformation, this thing, is to, to convey, to give authenticity to the message. Not to be abused. Not to be abused. There's a humility involved with this, right? There's a humility to use what he's been given only for the purpose for which intended. To convey the message of God. The, the the text seems to suggest that the radiance on Moses' face would, would fade slowly until he's, he's kind of rejuvenated in the presence of God. Um, so he he might have... Some have theorized that he might have worn the veil also as a means to kind of protect the people from doubting as it's fading. Oh, no, maybe he's... I kind of what you're talking about with... Maybe he's losing his authority. Maybe he's losing his presence with God because he needs to go back in again to the presence of God to have it restored. Um, all right. Yes, ma'am. Um, I. You know, it's a good question. I don't know how long this goes on. It seems to be a repetitive deal, and it may be, it may be throughout the rest of His ministry that this goes on. I, I hadn't, I hadn't looked at that. How many
1: more encounters
0: did he have? With God? Well, He's meeting in the temple with Him every day, or, or, or often. He's in the presence of God in the, t- in the in the in the tent of meeting that okay. He set up, okay. and and maybe when the tabernacle is in place, and that whole system is in place, maybe that's that's when it ceases. I don't know. I haven't, I didn't look that up. I, I have to do that. Yeah.
1: It seems to be a reminder, you know, uh, a reminder to us that we, we can't just uh, go to the Bible and learn about it and we're done. Yeah. It's God God. Yeah. It's not it, the glory wasn't Moses's. It wasn't him. It was. He, he was radiating it, but it wasn't his that was radiating it. He had to continually go back to God. Yeah. And continually talk with and meet with and learn from uh, God. It wasn't you know, just a one-time thing.
0: For Moses, he had to keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. We read of someone else who glowed, don't we, in the Bible? Someone else who kind of shone real brightly. At a certain point, it always, I mean, you know, it all talks of him all along the prophets. And yet there's something distinct with him, isn't there? Matthew 17, 3, talks about Christ, the mountain of transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John are sitting there. They're, they're kind of hanging out, and Jesus goes up on the mountain. He's transformed, and it says his face shone like the sun. And Moses and Elijah were near him, Peter in all his brilliance says, Hey, we'll build three booths for you guys. We got you covered. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Right? There's this internal sun shining thing going on. Jesus doesn't have to be relit or rejuvenated. He doesn't have... He is... Uh, I guess it's the difference in having the, 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 the white wall reflect the light. versus the light bulb itself. Jesus is the light bulb. Right? There is a radiance from Him by His very being. It's not a reflection. It's who He is. Um, Revelation one gives this incre- John gives this really cool picture of of the risen Christ, which is why I just love that this passage fell on Easter Sunday. He gives this great picture of the risen Christ in, in Revelation one. That's the last book in your Bible. It's the one that we, you know, nobody ever goes to because no, everybody freaks out over it. Uh, Revelation uh, one thirteen, And I'm in chapter 2. That won't do anybody any good. Uh, this morning, for this purpose. And in the midst of the land stands, one like a son of man. Notice he's fully human, by the way. One like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. That's next decade's fashion, by the way. Okay, the, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. What an amazing picture. And this is from him. This isn't a reflection. This is from him. Um, And here's the amazing thing. Christ humbles himself, comes to earth, lives the life that we should have lived dies the death we should have died, is exalted, Psalm 110, is exalted on high, looking like this, and yet the New Testament teaches He's the prototype for what's to come for us. Does that bother you? We, John, 1 John says, uh, when He appears, we will be made like Him, for we will see Him as He is. We won't be Him. We won't become God. We're not Mormons. But we will be made like him. We will reflect him. We will be a picture of him. Because we will see him as he is. Uh, Christ is a prototype of what we will be. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Got to go there. It's Easter Sunday. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul spends the first part of the chapter arguing for the authenticity of the or the historicity of the resurrection of Christ. He points to, he was seen by the apostles, he's seen by some disciples, and he's seen by like 500 at one time, many of whom are still alive, that you can go talk to these people and say, did you see this? And they'll say yes, and they say it in kind of a credible way that says, we saw the risen Jesus, we know it's him, he, he cooked us fish. We ate with him. I put my hand in his side. I put my hand on the, on the, on the wounds in his, in his hand. I heard him speak again. I heard him talk for 40 days before. And then I saw him ascend. You got a bunch of people t- saying the same story. If you lined them up as witnesses in a courtroom, you got months of testimony that the, to the historicity of the risen Christ. He goes through that argument in 1 Corinthians 15. But then he says this. Look at 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Who's that? Adam. Adam. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Who's that? The man of heaven. Notice how he says it. This is a physical body he has, still, fully, truly human, fully God, truly human. That's up. We want to rest on that. He sweat, right? He, he got hot, he got cold, he got hungry. He, he was fully human. And yet, this is the picture that we have of him, risen, glorified, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all, not just the elites, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. By the way, this is not a quiet thing. And, and it's a final thing. It's not on a plane and suddenly we're gone and oh no, there goes a plane flying into the building and whatever. This is, a, this is a sudden, this is the end kind of thing. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's still physical, but it's immortal. always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul's argument goes further than confirming the truth of the resurrection, as if that weren't enough. He says that because Christ conquered death, we also will be raised. We will be made like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Because of Christ's... Conquering of the grave, here's the cool thing for today, although that's pretty cool. He's conquering now. That resurrection applies now. Those in Christ are being transformed now. The the old man, is the body is fading. Fading at an exponential rate, I might add. But inside, it's growing. It's becoming conformed slowly. Uh... It's like a trajectory like this. Sometimes I feel it, but but it does. It's there's there's a movement toward looking like Jesus day by day by day. Um, go over a few pages. Second Corinthians three. Verse seven. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The law's a good thing. The new covenant's greater. Right? They couldn't look at his face, and that's fading. The new covenant's greater. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation... The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, not because it's not good, but because of the glory that surpasses it, he says. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. He's arguing that old rabbinical technique of of how we argue lesser to greater. This is compared to this, but this is greater, is is what he's saying. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. There's there's an indication here that Paul may be referencing a, a, a habit in synagogues when the Torah was read there was a veil placed over the book to, to hide the, the glory of God to suppress it for the people is the idea there Paul's saying that that's not the way we do it it's revealed take the veil off let him shine um, but when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed who removes the veil by the way? The veil is, removed. Only, through
2: Christ is the veil
0: removed. Only through Christ is the veil removed. And yet, it's Christ who removes the veil. We don't remove the veil. Christ removes the veil. It's His work. It's His action on the heart to, to display the glory of Jesus uh, by the Spirit. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, I love this, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed Into the same image, from one degree, (laughs) one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Incidentally, if you're looking for a great um, apologetic verse on the Holy Spirit being fully God, there it is. This is the Lord who is the Spirit. So it's not an it. It's not some weak force that you can control through your, you know, whatever. This is He's a person. The Spirit is a person, and He's Lord. Father's Lord, Son is Lord, Spirit's Lord. Three persons, one being. There's your Trinity thing for this Sunday morning. Alright, that, that is a great uh, place to go. But look at this. And we with, all un, with, with unveiled face. God removes the veil. We see the beauty of Jesus. We reflect the glory because we behold His glory. How do we behold God's glory? I haven't seen Him. Have you? I'm not glowing like Moses. How, what is He talking about? What unveiled face... What beholding glory are we looking at? Any thoughts? The
2: glory of the second covenant is mentioned or referred
0: to. Right? And what way do we see now the glory of the second covenant? veil being lifted from our hearts. We see Jesus magnified. The Jews had the law at this time Paul is talking about. They've got everything. And it's still veiled. Their hearts are darkened by this veil. It's been removed for us we see the beauty of God's culminating plan all wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the veil being removed. That's how we behold the glory. What else is he talking about? What else do you think? At this point, I'm new in Christ. Yes, I trust that to be true. I hope you do too. I'm new in Christ. The glory of the new covenant far exceeds the glory of the old. Think about what a gift that is—justification. I'm made right with God by a declaration. I, I have repented. You've repented. You've beat on your chest like the like the tax collector in the temple. Make that apply to me.
1: Um, we have this spiritual illumination of the word is made evident through the church.
0: Okay. There, there is, there is. There's the, the gift of justification. There's the promise of glorification that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. And then there is this comfort that we have in sanctification. There's the $10 word. The renewal. The transformation that happens. Paul talks about from one glory to the next. And how does that happen? How, do, how does... You you've just said it. it Spirit, the Spirit the, does it in the heart.
1: To see God in His
0: Word. To see God in His Word. And you see the result of that in His people, right? We should. We should see that. Um, he has removed the veil of my heart and your heart to see the beauty in His Word, in His creation, and in His people. And this is what struck me this week about this. One of the things. How often do we veil our reflection of Christ not out of humility or accommodation of the fear of others like Moses did, but because of our own pride and sinfulness? veil what's been entrusted to us. Even now, we can display the glory of God, but we must spend time with Him. Like Moses, going back to be rejuvenated, uh, we have to go back again and again Jesus said this way, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches, feed on me. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of the kingdom, you won't live. I am sufficient for you. I'm enough. That's what he says. We reflect our exposure to him with unveiled face to His presence in His Word, and our dependence upon Him in prayer, and as we work uh, off the rough edges of our own hearts within, with those in His body, and we participate gratefully in His Supper. Moses had to be relit. He had to be recharged by the presence of God. We have to go again using the gifts that God has given us, called, we call them the means of grace, word, prayer, community, supper, do we really expect a mirror to reflect what we want if it is set at the wrong angle? We have to be with Him to reorient the reflection. You become what you worship, right? If I'm worshiping world stuff, I'm going to reflect world stuff. If I'm if I'm if I'm living in the dust, the temporary, the thing that flies away, I'm gonna reflect the temporary, the thing that flies away. I don't want to do that. I want to be in him. I want to be reflecting him rightly. I want the veil off. I hope you do too. I know you do. Any any other yeah.
2: I'm reminded no only from this passage but Sunday is the first. Thing. So we will be just like him, and that—that's um, where our hope is placed. Is just just like the verse of First Corinthians, and all of this is—is is how Christ is raised from the dead, how Moses reflects that. Mm-hmm. So, so we will be the same in the same
0: way. And yes, ultimately, but it also teaches that that's going on now. That 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 resurrection of the dead heart is, is now. And from that heart that's being slowly, painfully transformed, that's going on now. And it's because of the resurrection that He purchased that for you, for me, for, for us. And, and I think many times, um, I know I get caught up in the, God, I just wish this day were over because, you know, I know it's just, and, and I'm looking forward to being with Jesus and there's no sin, there's no tears. And no, I, I focus that, and that's good, that's a hope. But there's stuff going on right now that's incredibly important in my heart. My, my interaction with Tammy and the kids is shaping me into the image of Jesus. I fight it or I embrace it. <laughs> that's the two options I have. But it's happening. And it's because of what He's done. Seated on the throne, shaping me slowly day by day. And your interactions with each other are shaping you. And that's a good thing. We need to be humble about it. We need to be um, we need to embrace the trial, as it says in James three, and not run from it, not veil ourselves from each other uh, because it's awkward. <laughs> Lots of awkward sometimes, but it works. The work of sanctification in us, the transformation in us. Any anything else? I know I've got I'm, I've got probably another twenty minutes that uh, that we. More could be said. You know, that's what all, everybody says in, the, in Bible context when they run out of notes again. Another, another thing: More could be said. Let's end in prayer. Um, anything else on your end?
1: You were talking about uh, we have to be a mirror directed at the right thing to reflect it. I was trying to find what Ashley talks about as being vessels, but I can't. Um, maybe I should get a sore room. Um, like, we we are vessels, so it's like, what are you filling yourself with? Mm-hmm. Um Worldliness
0: or godliness. and yet the picture there with the vessel or so the cup is that it overflows when it's filled with Christ there's, no room, there's not room for anything else nothing else satisfies like that and yet we so often just try to put more dust in alright let's conclude I'll pray these are great words these are great thoughts it's a beautiful picture what am I going to do with it tomorrow morning how does this transform us it's not something that we can manufacture we need you every hour Father I pray that by your spirit you would transform us again from glory to glory that we would display the beauty of Jesus in our response to not having that second cup of coffee in the morning, having that co-worker that just irritates the fire out of us, or wrestling with a spouse, or wrestling with kids, or whatever is involved and in, in, in how we uh, have, it, have a day that is not perfect, that doesn't seem very glorious. Father, we, we need to take the long view, and you, and you promise to help us do that. I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, transform us. Let us see Jesus glorified and long to look like Him even now by displaying the fruit of Your Spirit in our lives. Unify us around this common goal that we will outdo each other in serving each other and displaying to a broken, selfish, prideful world the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We pray all these things in His name. Amen.